um, begins a new series that God put on my heart. We're going to be speaking from Ashel, the Kingdom series. And before we go into all the scriptures and everything, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do, Lord God. We thank you for your word, Father, this shall, Lord God. Take seed and root, Father, within us, Lord God. Father, help us hide it, Father, in our hearts, Father, in our minds and our soul, Father, that at the opportunist time, Father, we need it to most. It will come up, Father, in our spirit to help us, to lead us and guide us, Father, into all truth, Lord God. Father, remove all of me, Lord God, that you may be glorified, Father, in my body, Father, and speak the words, Lord God, concerning, Father, this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So everybody can hear me fine? Amen. So we start on the Kingdom series. So today's message is, if I had to put a title to it, Understanding the Spiritual Laws Behind the Kingdom. Understanding the spiritual laws behind the kingdom. And our first scripture we come from is Mark 1, 14 through 15. And it says, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now I'm gonna give you a little background concerning kind of what's going on with the situation before we go in depth to the actual scriptures. Now we have the Pharisees, we have the Sadducees, and we have the scribes. I'm gonna turn the music down just a little bit more. We have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Now, what you have to understand is that the Pharisees, I'm doing a little bit of educating, okay? <laughs> the Pharisees were part of the Jewish council, okay? And they believed in not only the word of God, which was the Torah, the books of Moses, the five books, they also believed in the uh, oral tradition and the written word of God. So they had traditions that they did, which was not a part of the word of God, but they believed in those traditions. And these Pharisees, they represented pretty much the most common working class people and they held the respect of the masses because they were so close to the people. Now they also believed in the resurrection from the dead and they taught the existence of angels and demons in the spiritual realm. Next, we have the Sadducees. Now, this, the Sadducees is what we would call our elite. They were part of a priesthood, part of the Sanhedrin, okay? They were more of an elite set of people. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And in fact, they believed that once you died, that your soul actually perished away. So there was no, like, after you die, you go with me with the Lord or you go to hell. They didn't believe that. They believed that it was destroyed altogether. And also, they also rejected the idea of an unseen spiritual world. Now, we have the scribes. 
what we would call our modern day lawyers. They were the official interpreters of the law. They were the ones that was trying to get Jesus always caught up in his wording and what he did in order to bring fault. So they were the official interpreters of the law. Now, I know you're like, why are you telling me this? I'm telling you this because we have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and we have the scribes. None of them believed each other. None of them had the same ideas. But they have come together, set aside their differences, in order to catch Jesus and to do away with him. So they said, we're going to set aside our size, whether I believe in the resurrection or not, whether I believe in the spirit realm or not, we're going to set aside our difference and we're going to come together in order to remove this Jesus. And that lets you know the message in which he brought was the kingdom and what he preached and what he taught was so powerful that they would set aside their differences in order to remove him. Now, the scripture says, verse 15, and saying, now this is Jesus saying this, the time is fulfilled. Now, a lot of times we mess ourselves up in the English language because when we think of fulfilled, we think of a basic term of being like, it's done. If something is fulfilled, we're like, okay, it's done. But when we look things up from his perspective and the Greek perspective and what they actually thought of in this particular passage, it means way more than that. So when he said the time is fulfilled, what he was saying is that the time is complete. Now this is the Greek definition. The time is complete. Everything has been supplied for. To fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to be full, to have a full measure of it, to be filled to the brim, to render perfect, to accomplish and to carry out to the end. It also means the performance and the execution of sayings, of promise, promises and prophecy. So when he arrived on the scene and said, the time is fulfilled. He was letting you know it's complete. Everything has been supplied for. It's perfect. Everything that the prophets has said, every promise that you've ever written about, everything that every man has said that I have used, he said, all of that I'm going to do in performance, and then I'm going to execute it out. Then he said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So when we see at hand, that doesn't mean that it's coming. And like, like it's on its way. It says that it's at hand, meaning it's here, right now. Then he said, repent. Change your mind. Get forgiven for your past and your sins. Why? He said, believe the gospel. Now, when we think of believe, we think of once again in a basic term because we're Americans. But when he says believe the gospel, this is not just a conscious, 
oh, I believe what you say kind of thing. When he said, believe the gospel, he said, place your confidence in the gospel. Not only place your confidence in the gospel, but also have confidence in what I said. Trust that it comes, that trust that actually not comes from the head, but that trust that comes from the soul. And also believes means to have an intellectual faith. So it said, what is an intellectual faith? An intellectual faith is, is to believe beyond what you can physically see. So he said, believe the gospel. Place your confidence in the word. Have confidence in what I'm getting ready to teach you and to show you. Trust from your soul and not your head. Believe the gospel. Have an intellectual faith. Believe beyond what you can see. And then the gospel. It's kind of a blanket statement. Believe the gospel. It's like, what is the gospel? The gospel is good tidings. What is good tidings? The good news. What is the good news? It's an intelligence. Now, this is the Greek definition. The intelligence on how the spirit realm, your father's world, operates and functions. Believe the gospel. Now, what does that include? It includes salvation. It includes grace. And it includes deeds. So when he said, believe the gospel, he said, the insight or the intelligence about how the spirit realm actually works and functions. Believe the gospel, believe how salvation works. Understand how salvation works for you. Understand how grace works for you. Understand what a deed is. What is a deed? It's a legal document. The transfer of property or rights by legal means, which means that he said, understand what is yours. Understand what you have inherited. The next scripture, Luke 4 and 48. And it says, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. He's letting them know, this, has, this is my purpose. That's why he said, therefore am I sent. This is my destiny. This is the reason why I came. Now let's talk about the word preach, because once again, if we don't look into these words, we'll think from an American standpoint of he's just talking. Preach means to talk, but actually preach in the Greek don't just mean to talk or to proclaim something. To preach actually means to talk about the spiritual intelligence behind how to obtain salvation through Christ and what relates to that salvation. So how to receive what belongs to you after you've received Christ, and then what does that mean? What do those benefits, what does that inheritance come with? It also means 
The word preach means to instruct men concerning the things pertaining to Christ-like salvation. So when he said, I must preach the kingdom, what he was saying is that I must talk about the spiritual intelligence behind how to gain salvation through Christ. I must tell them the benefits, their inheritance, the promises. I must instruct them and show them concerning the things that pertain to salvation, what belongs to them. Now, we'll deal with salvation because if that's part of your inheritance and that's part of your rights, you gotta know what it is because you'll never obtain it. Salvation is just not receiving the Lord as your savior. That's a basic definition. But true salvation is the Greek word soteria. And it means how to be delivered, number one, from being harassed by the enemy. How to be delivered by being harassed by the enemy is part of your salvation. Salvation also entails how to keep your soul safe how to keep it anchored, how to keep your soul continually growing. Salvation is also the sum of the benefits and the blessings which Christians redeem as their present possessions, which you've inherited right now and which you can receive, and then also your future possessions, which you shall inherit once you go to heaven is present and past. And it also, but last but not least, entails how to obtain healing. That's also part of salvation. The next scripture is Matthew 6, 25 through 27. We'll be going through, let's see, verse 33. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 says, before I go into the scripture, right now this is Jesus with his disciples and really he's correcting their mindsets. So keep that in mind. He is correcting their mindsets. So therefore he said, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. It's not life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet, whose father? Your, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much better than they, which of you by asking, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto his stature? He says, your father, not the bird's father, not the grass father, your father. He said, of the grass and the bird, they don't even belong to me. They're not my children. But I care for them, I take care for them. So how much more, you being children of God, 
would I take care of you? Then he continues to go on and says, and why take ye thought for raiment? Why are you thinking about what you're going to wear? He's saying, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not. They don't even work, he said. Neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and is tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And now we get to the meat of the scripture. And he says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat once again, or what shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father, once again, your heavenly Father, knoweth that you have need of all of these things. But, you know when we say but, it cancels out all of the rest of it, right? It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Now, remember I told you that in the beginning, he was correcting the disciples and their mindset. He was so worried about what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna wear? What are we gonna drink? He was like, you focused on the wrong thing. And sometimes, majority of the times, that happens to us. We're like, okay, God, where the money gonna come from? Uh, I need this with the kids, and I need that. Where the rent gonna come from? And, ooh, God, I'm, 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 I'm getting bigger, I'm getting smaller, I need some new clothes. And we, we think about the wrong thing. He's like, why are you thinking about those things? He's like, don't you know I know you need those things? Your concern should be understanding how your father world operates and understanding how the spirit realm operates in order to obtain those things. Because he said if you seek the kingdom, meaning the Father's world and the spirit realm, and it says righteousness, meaning practicing righteousness, then those things will come. It's a mathematical equation. One plus one equals two. But a lot of times we look at the two, <coughs> and we don't understand why is this not coming? Because you haven't did the one plus the one. So he said, for all of these things do the Gentiles seek. Why did he reference the Gentiles? In that time, Gentiles was also considered pagans. Now, they were considered that because they sought to worship the things and they made them idols instead of worshiping the true God. They turn gods out of things. So he said, don't become focused on the things because it's already a part of your inheritance. Why are you focused on something that already belongs to you? The focus should be how to obtain it. How do I get it? And he said to seek. Seek means Seek to find out how it operates. Meditate on it. Study it. Ask your father. Be willing and open to learn. Inquire about it. 
It also means demanding something from someone, demanding it from your father. Father, how do I prosper? Father, how do I get a new job? Father, how do I do this? How do I do that? And it says, and his righteousness. So we can't just seek the kingdom and not his righteousness. Also, it's one plus one equals two. So the other side of that, which my husband, Pastor Hardy, preached, practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness meaning what? Praying, work time, study time, fasting, fellowship, and giving. So if you seek the kingdom, how your father world operates, how the spirit world operates, and practice righteousness, all of those things are going to come automatic. You won't even have to worry about them coming. Really, they're going to hunt you down. It's going to find you. We go to Luke 12 and 32. And he said, fear not, little flock, for it is your who? It said, it's God? No, it said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we look at this backwards. It says that he's pleased the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom, which means that when you don't get the kingdom and you don't understand how it operates or function, he's what? Displeased. When you don't seek him to know how it functions and how to get your inheritance, he says he's displeased. He said he's, he's pleased to give it to you. The Father is never satisfied until you receive the kingdom till you understand how it operates, and until you get the benefits on how it functions. He's never pleased until this happens. And that is why it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Because you have to believe in something you cannot see. Matthew 16, we're going to read verse 13 through 19. It says, But Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he goes on and says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my who? Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, 
and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, first thing he says is, I will build my church, my ecclesia. Now, understand that he didn't say, I will build my Methodist church. He didn't say, I'm going to build this Baptist church. He didn't say, I'm going to build this apostolic church. He didn't say none of that. We, as Americans, give labels to things in order to separate, to divide, and to understand things that we don't understand. But he never put a label on anything. He said, I will build my church, my ecclesia. And he did this on purpose because of that reason. Because in the body of Christ, there is no denomination. You are part of the body. When he said, my church, he said, my called out ones, my children. He doesn't see, oh, these are my Baptist kids right here. <laughs> these are my little Methodist kids over here. They all are his children. <laughs> he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. So later on in this passage, if we would continue to read this through verse 21 through 38, Jesus begins to predict his death and telling his disciples that he must go away. But I would have you to believe also that he was not just only predicting his death, but he also was going with predicting his authority and his power that he would gain from dying. And I say that because verse 19, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You can't give somebody nothing that you don't have. You have to obtain it first in order to give it away. So he was not just talking about his death, but he was also talking about his authority and his power. And not only his authority and his power, but that which was going to be afforded to you because he was going to obtain it. And that's why he said, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Keys symbolizes power and it symbolizes authority in which you need for the kingdom, what you need in order to operate in the spirit realm. Now these are the same keys. Verse 19, the keys in which he's referring to here is the same Greek word for the keys in Luke 11 and 52, where it says Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he tells them, you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you don't enter in yourselves, and you hinder those who want to enter. It's the same key in the Greek. He said, you're not entering and operating in the Father's realm, and then you're preventing people from coming in and entering and understanding and operating in the Father's realm. How were they doing that? Through the law, putting people under condemnation. 
these, this is the same keys he refers to in Revelation 1 and 18. The same Greek word, which means the one, it says, it's the one who has the keys to hell and death. The same keys he said he was going to give you. The same keys in Revelation 3 and 7 that says the one who has the keys of David. It's the same keys, he says, that he say he has the keys of the bottomless pit. And it's the same keys that the angel used to bind Satan for a thousand years. You got those same keys. That same authority and that same power. Romans 14 and 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So what is this telling us? That the kingdom doesn't consist of rituals of the things that we do. It's not performance-based. That is religion which always takes us back to the law. He said, look, it's not performance-based in which you got to do something for God, for God to do something for you. He already done it. <laughs> Stop letting people tell you that. You know, you got to do something for God, for God to do something. No, no, he's already done it. <laughs> what I need to do is understand how my father world operates, understand how the spirit realm operates and practice righteousness. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also have ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest least any man fall after the same example of unbelief. <sighs> this one was a hard one for me. <laughs> I am so used to working to get things done. I know how to get some stuff done. <laughs> I know how to make things a priority. I know how to organize stuff. I know how to delegate some stuff. I know how to get it done with a checklist and everything. I know how to, to, to search out information. I know how to work hard. I got good work ethics. But the thing about that was, as much as I worked so, 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 so very hard, and I had in my mind what I thought I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this, then I'm gonna get my degree, and once I get my degree, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna have this position because this is the position I got my mindset on, and I'm gonna have to do this, X, Y, and Z in order to get that accomplished. And it was like God was sitting back like, okay, let me know how that work out for you. And the thing about it, I was actually able to do all of that because I had a good work ethic. I was actually able to accomplish everything that I set out to do. And when I finally got to the position that, which was my heart's desire, I got there and I was like, this is not what I thought it would be. 
I was full of anxiety. I was overworked. <laughs> I was underpaid. I was stressed out trying to maintain something that I created, something that I wanted. And thank God for my husband. He is always telling me, look, why are you doing all of this stuff? Why are you working this hard? He's like, that's all you gotta do. <laughs> Get in this word, put this word in you. When you put this word in you, you're gonna pray, you're gonna fast, all of, you're gonna give, you do fellowship, and that stuff will come. The stuff that you're working so hard for and laboring and putting all that sweat into, that stuff come automatically. He's like, sit down somewhere. <laughs> it was hard for me because I knew how to work. I knew how to get money. I knew how not to rely on nobody else. I knew those things. So it really hindered me because I'm like, oh, well, I don't need nobody. I, for long as I got myself, as long as I know it's completed, it's done, as long as I know that it's, it's working, then I'm good. Everything else is, is obsolete. But what ended up happening, like God was not there. I got to be the director of, of this facility that I wanted to be, but when I got there, I was like, I'm still stressed out. Making good money, but why am I so still filled with anxiety? Why am I not able to sleep? Why do I feel like I'm going to sleep, and then I wake up, and I'm like, I really don't feel like I slept, but I just slept for eight hours. <laughs> and then this scripture came to life to me. He said to me, you're laboring. You're putting all this laboring, all this self-effort in. He was like, your labor should be to be laboring into my rest. What I have done for you, that's your labor. Labor to understand how I operate. Labor in this word. Put this word in you. And the crazy part about that. I'm telling you, I got so, so, I won't tell them all, but I got so many testimonies. When I started doing it this way, I'm telling you, blessings was hunting me down. I kid you not, I'm not just standing up here and saying some stuff to you. I'm being honest. I'll give you an example. I started doing this, fasting, praying, Giving, giving, getting into the word, fellowship. And I, the first thing I did is I started walking by faith and not by sight. I start desiring my destiny and I start desiring my purpose. Not working for another man. What did you create me to do? What is my purpose? Why did you place me on the earth? I started seeking the Father about that first. And then from there, the desire that I had in my heart for what I wanted, he actually did a 360. The desire of wanting to be a director and be over this and be over that, I no longer desired that. It's like he replaced my desire with his. And then once I received his desire, stuff started moving internally for me. I wasn't satisfied with mediocre. And I start to say within myself, there got to be more to life than this. This can't be life. This can't be that I work for a man for 30 years and I retire 
And then I can enjoy life once I reach 68 or 70. This can't be life. This is, I told God, this is death. This is not life. I have yet to live and enjoy life. So I said, you know what? I said, Father, I said, I call it, what I call it, job suicide. <laughs> I said, I'm getting ready to quit. All of my friends at my job was like, why would you do that? Do you have another job lined up? Where are you going? Can I go too? I was like, no, sister, I don't, I don't have none of that. I said, I don't have no job lined up. I don't have no interviews coming. I said, I'm just going to step out. I said, I'm just going to see what God going to do. I said, he's my father. He knows what I need. I said, I don't have nothing lined up. I said, but I'm going to start doing it his way instead of mine. Now, to some people, that seemed very risky. I got bills, I got three kids, I got a husband, you still got a car note and all this other stuff, but I did. I just stepped out. I said, God, I'm leaving all of this because it's not your will that I have anxiety and fear and worry and I can't sleep and they, you know, I'm, I'm in a position, but I'm in five positions. I'm doing the work of five people. <laughs> I said, no. I said, I'm step away from all of it. I put in my notice. Then I start seeking him. What do you want me to do? What you created me to do? Praying, fasting, giving, fellowship. And he started opening things. And the crazy part about it, when I start doing that, I'm telling you one of my testimonies is that I had somebody, I had um, actually taken the test and got another certification to expand my business. And so I opened up a private practice in the midst of all of that, and that's a testimony in itself, but God allowed me to open my own private practice. And so through that, it's pretty much an extension of the ministry in which I counsel people, and me and my husband, we counsel marriage couples and families and children and stuff. And in that, I got another certification to expand my business. Now, the only thing, now this is crazy, y'all, the only thing that I did was study for the test, take the test, and pass the test. A week afterwards, I get an email that came in. Oh, we were, we know that you got your SAP certification and we were, we're looking for providers in the area and that, you know, we're, we're low on providers in the area to provide these type of evaluations. We were wondering if we can do a contract with you. And now while I'm thinking, how in the world did you get my name? <laughs> how did you get my email address? The only thing I did was take the test and pass the test. I didn't even tell anybody I had passed the test or taken the test but my husband. But it's one of those things that he said, to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If I told you, it will hunt you down. Then on top of that, the, what? After that, like a few days after that, I got a text by one of my friends, and she was like, oh, can you do this evaluation? I heard you got your SAP. I'm thinking to myself, who you heard it from? Because I didn't tell nobody. She's like, I want to send you somebody to do this. I'm like, okay. And then two hours after that, another person called. It said, well, my employer gave me your name. 
thinking to myself, where did, I'm still thinking, where did you get my name from? I told you this is kind of creepy. And then the day after that, another person called. So it allowed me to see that this thing really works. Now, the last thing we're going to go through is actually 11. There's way, 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 way more than 11. But I'm going to go through 11 spiritual keys of the kingdom. And what this is, this actually are examples, insight, revelation on how the father worlds, the father's world operates how the spirit realm operates. First key. The spiritual law of dominion. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless without results without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner from which I sent it. The spiritual law of dominion. So what this is saying is that if you speak the word out of your mouth, the Bible says the word is active and it's alive. You're not just speaking a dead word. He said it's alive. It goes out and accomplish whatever it's sent out to do. And it's not going to return void or empty. It says whatever you say out of your mouth, it produces. So if you say, oh, five, and this is the thing about it is that this is like a continual prayer. This is not just like a, a one-time thing, you know, God, I thank you for my healing kind of thing. <laughs> This is a confession. This is an affirmation. He said, when, when you speak it, it's doing something. Don't think that if when you're speaking that it's not doing nothing like this is a dead word. This is an active word. It's alive. The next one is the spiritual law of harvest. The spiritual law of harvest. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10 it says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food and multiplies your seed sown and increases the fruits of your righteousness. Bottom line of this is that God gives seed to the sower. He's the one that gives you the seed, gives you the finances, and then when you give, he said, he's the one that multiplies what you just gave. The spiritual law of harvest. Luke 6 and 38 says, give and what? It shall be given unto you. This makes totally no sense to the world. To the world is save as much as I possibly can save. Give. I don't even have enough for my life bill. Somebody give you something. But God is saying, if you make me first, 
You give tithes, you give offering, you give when I tell you to give, give randomly. Do it when I tell you to give. He said, I am the one, I'm the source, I'm the one who gave you the paycheck. The job didn't give it to you, I'm the one who gave it to you. So if you give, he said, I'm going to give it back to you. And when I give it back to you, it's going to be multiplied. So when you look at your paycheck and it's like, oh, Lord, I only had $600, but I had $1,200 in bill, it always seemed to work out. Proverbs 19 and 17 says, he who is gracious and lends a hand to the poor lends to the Lord. Who wouldn't want to lend to the Lord? And the Lord will repay him for his good deeds. He said, you think you're giving to a man. You think you're giving to a homeless person. You think you bought that person's lunch at Chick-fil-A and you gave it to them. He said, no, you did it to me when you did it to them. And I'm the one who's going to repay you for it. The spiritual law of the builder. And it, this also goes with the spiritual law of dominion. Hebrews 11 and 3, it says, by what? Faith. That is, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power of wisdom and goodness of God, we understand that the world, the world we living in, like Mars and, and also Jupiter and Pluto and all of them, the world, the universe, and ages, it says were framed and created, formed. It was put in order. It was equipped for the intended purpose by the world of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We're not talking about the Big Bang Theory. It just happened. <laughs> no, it didn't happen like that according to the word. He said what you see in this world came from a world you cannot see. Everything that was made was made through Christ. And he's saying that with this understanding, as the spiritual law of the builder, you have that same power. Because when God spoke the world into existence, when it was dark darkness and it was void, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He said he framed the world with his words. Likewise, you being his children, you having the seed of Christ in you, you have that same ability. Now I'm not saying to you something, like I say this, it's textbooks and I haven't experienced this. I have literally experienced this. Me and my husband was fasting and praying actually for, we didn't know it would be this building, but we was in prayer and fasting and reading the word and seeking God about where to go to open the church. And the crazy part about it is that I was getting several dreams during this period of time. And in each dream that God would give me, he would let me know what stage we were at as far as finding the church. What frame and stage. So the first dream I had, it was just a frame. 
Just like he said, the worlds were framed. It was a frame of the house. It was a frame of a house. And I told my husband, we got the frame up. We got to continue to pray and fast and read the word and seek God. We continue to do that. Another dream came. And in this dream, there was like the head, like contractor, and then he had workers. And the church was continually being built the head they had the walls up in the dream and then the like the master builder came to his workers and he said because he was upset with them in the dream and he said to them because the, the workers the only way the church was going to be built was by the um the, the the volunteering um the giving of money so they were out there and people were giving and then they started kind of using deceit and stuff to get money from people. So the master builder came over and he was like, don't force people to give. Stop forcing people to give. He said, I only want this built from people who have a heart to give, that want to give. He said, don't ask for nothing. And then I woke up and I told my, my husband, I said, well, we have the walls up. And I say, in the same instance, when we do get the church, God want, don't want us to force people to give. We, he wants us to allow people to give from their own heart. So it was a message even within that. And then we continue to pray and fast again still for the building. Then I had another dream. Then he showed me I was working one-on-one with the contractor and we had the walls up and everything and he was asking me what do you want in the church what kind of chairs do you want what kind of pew do you want in the church and I was telling him how I wanted it woke up I told my husband we're close we're real close continue to push continue to fast and then after about two or three days after that <laughs> here we are we found this, my husband found it, actually, we called a pastor, we looked at it, and he was like, this is the one. So when it says that, you have the ability to frame whatever you want with his word, with prayer, with fasting, it can be done. The next one is the law, the spiritual law of wisdom. James 1 and 5, it says, if any of you lack wisdom to guide him through a decision or a circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame and it will be given to him first john 2 and 20 says but you have an anointing from the holy one you have been set apart specially gifted and prepared by the holy spirit and all of you know the truth because he teaches us illuminates our minds and guides us from error then john 16 and 13 says but when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, full and complete truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but he will speak whatever he heals from the Father. 
the message regarding the son, and he will disclose to you what is to come in the future. So, if you don't know who to marry, if you don't know what job you should do next, if you don't know if you should leave your job or stay at your job, if any question that you have and you don't know the answer to, it's because you haven't asked for wisdom. The Bible says, if you ask for wisdom, he will give it to you. But we got to ask. And not only that, he says he's given you, once you receive Christ and you've been adopted into to the family of God, you also get the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you into all things. And the thing about it is that you, it, this can be applied over several things. Several things. People always find it amazing that I can interpret dreams, right? But the thing about it, it's like it's, there's no, like, mysterious thing behind it. The only thing that I do is I ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you gave the person the dream, I say. Help me see the truth behind the dream and then through that I open my mind up and my heart up to the interpretation of what the spirit is saying so the magic behind it is just letting the Holy Spirit use you and asking him the truth behind it and having your ears to heaven to hear what he has to say The spiritual law of love. It says, owe nothing to anyone except to love and seek the best for one another. For he who unselfishly loves his neighbor has fulfilled the essence of the law relating to one's fellow man. Galatians 5 and 14 says, for the whole law concerning human relationships is fulfilled in one precept. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is, you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. So if you are ever concerned about keeping the commands of God and doing what's right in his sight, he said, look, if you just op operate in love, you're you going to fulfill everything. You're going to fulfill everything in the word. This is a spiritual principle that if you love and you operate in love, he said you've fulfilled everything that's in the book. Now, the spiritual law of prosperity. Beloved, I pray, 3 John 1 and 2, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health, Physically, just as I know your soul prospers spiritually. So if there's any area of your life that's not prospering, this is the reason why. It's not prospering because your soul haven't prospered. Now, what does that mean? That means that you haven't spent any time in the word. You haven't spent any time praying. And that's why it's not prospering. It's a spiritual concept. Prosperity equals soul prosperity. 
They're on both sides of the, the equal equation. Soul prospering equals prosper, prosperity naturally. Spiritual prosperity equals prosperity naturally. We get it backwards. We want the natural prosperity. <laughs> we don't want our souls to prosper. The spiritual law of forgiveness. It says, Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, meaning their recklessness and willful sins, whether they meant it or they didn't mean it, he said, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive you of your trespasses. Forgiveness is for you, not the other person. It's a spiritual concept. He said, if you forgive that person, he said, then I'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive that person, I can't forgive you. Because why? He says, you're nurturing your hurt and your anger. And the result of that is that you're interfering with our relationship. The relationship you have with the Father and yourself is being interfered with because you're allowing bitterness, anger, and resentment to remain there. Mm. The spiritual law of losing your will. Lord, this is a hard one. Like the disciples said, this is a hard saying, Lord. <laughs> this is a hard one. It is. The spiritual law of losing your will. Matthew 16 and 25, it says, For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is, life with me for eternity. This is a hard one. I've been guilty of it when I was younger. I do what I want to do. This is my life. And, you know, when I make decisions, I'm making them for myself. And I'm going to do me and all this other stuff. This me, 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 self, self, self. I didn't want to give up my life. But he said, if you lose your will... What you want to do, how you see it, how you see it being done, he said, and then you take up mine, he said, you gain life. Lose what you want to do and your desires, pick up my will for you because I'm the one who created you. You don't even know what you've been created for. You don't know what your destiny is. You don't know what your purpose is. But you're doing all of these things that don't equal your destiny. You had, and remember I was telling you, I felt as though I had yet, I was like, I haven't even lived. I'm not even feel like I'm living. I didn't feel like I was living because I hadn't given up my will yet. The spiritual law of faith. Hebrews 11 and 1, it said, Now faith is the assurance, it's your title deed, your confirmation of the things hoped for, 
divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Matthew 17 and 20 says, He answered, Because of your little faith, your lack of trust, and confidence in the power of God. For I assure you and most solemnly say to you, if you have living faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it is, and if it is God's will, it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The spiritual law of faith. The spiritual law of faith says I rely on something that I can't see. I rely not on my physical senses, what I can taste and taste and touch and smell and know. It's not a conscious thing. This is a soul trust thing that I trust. You have to believe in something that you cannot see. And the thing about it, he says, and when you do that, faith becomes your substance, your currency in the kingdom. Faith is money in the spirit realm. So faith becomes your currency in the kingdom. Matthew 17 and 20 said, he talked about having little faith. <laughs> now, God has given every man a measure of faith, okay? But it is up to you to water that. And how do you water that? By reading the word, by studying the word, by hearing the word. And then that grows. And when it grows, he says, you can get to the point where you have that kind of faith that you can say to a mountain to move and it will move. But it never comes from the seed to a mountain moving faith if you're not watering it and you're not growing it. The spiritual law of humility. We got one more to go. Luke 18 and 14 says, I tell you, this man went into his home justified, forgiven of the guilt of sin, and placed in right standing with God rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself, forsaking self-righteousness and pride, will be exalted. James 4 and 6 says, but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. So if you want promotion you want increase, you want favor, he says, humble yourself. It's a spiritual concept. If you humble yourself, now what does humble yourself mean? What does humility mean? It means that you're coming to the Father as a child and saying, Father, teach me, show me how to do this. What do I need to do? 
concerning this situation. Teach me how to be a good wife. Teach me how to be a good friend. Teach me how to handle my supervisor. Teach me this, teach me that. You're humbling yourself to be taught of your father. And he says, when you do this, he said, I'll give you more grace more grace, more time to spiritually grow, more time to do what I've called you to do. And the last one, the spiritual law of prayer. Matthew 6 and 6 says, but when you pray, go into your most private room, close the door, and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew 21 and 22 says, and whatever you ask for prayer, believing you will receive it. The spiritual law of prayer. He said, when you pray in private, and you close your door, and you have a secret place in which you and the father meet, and you're praying in secret, he says that I will reward you openly.